Welcome to my MACD life, empowered by the Support Sight Foundation. This podcast is about macular degeneration and the devastating impact it has on millions of people and their families every single day, 365 days a year. Our mission is simple, to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. So tune in, buckle up, and put your listening ears on. Here are your hosts, Don Prawl and Sean Doyle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my MACD Life. I'm your co-host, Sean Doyle, professional speaker, trainer, and book author. And I'm here today with my co-host, the lovely and talented, the amazing, the incredible, the irreplaceable, Don Prawl, the founder and executive director of the Support Site Foundation and a visionary. Hey, Don. Hey, Sean. Hi, everyone. We're happy you've joined us. We're excited to bring you some great information, education, and inspiration. We really want to make a difference in the life of people who are suffering with MACD, and we call it My MACD Life. And Don, one other thing. What's that, Sean? We're We're going going to have fun. Sean, I got I have something to say about today's lineup. Do you really? Who's on today's lineup? Well, I'm to, I'm psyched because we have the distinct pleasure and honor of featuring Dr. Dwight Stambolian. Ooh. Uh, yep, and uh, Dwight is a world class vision researcher at the University of Pennsylvania, whose life's work, you know, is is going to have an impact on all of our listeners in terms of uh, their macular degeneration and what's on deck for the future and the research. That's right. And if you think about it, this is a rare opportunity to tune in to a discussion with a world class researcher. And how often do you get that opportunity? You got that right. So that's I'm really jazzed about that. And you know what else? These guys, uh, scientists that have, you know, people have a tendency to talk in science terms, but Dwight's talking in lay terms today. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because his life work uh, is really making a positive impact on our listeners. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you did say that. Where was I? I must have been I out of the room. Well, I'm psyched. <laughs> I know. No, you weren't. You just got all caught up in that like got all science thing. Yeah. Also going to hear from our buddies at Vespero talking about some assistive technology that is amazing. So let's rock and roll. And a board profile. Board profile, a couple other things on deck, but really it's all about the research today, folks. So, so don't please, go anywhere. Please don't, don't go, go anywhere. anywhere. Please. Stay. I think, we, I think we talked over each other. Support for today's My MACD Life podcast comes from Healthy Vision Association, Novartis, Pispero, Centric Bank, and Hinkelstein and Associates. So Don, uh, this is a segment when you and I talk a little bit about what we're thinking about, you know, this week or or this month or right now in our in our time. And something I was thinking about today because I have a a friend of mine. His name is John Leary. He's a professional speaker, and he was actually in an accident when he was ten years old. Very sad, where he was burned over almost a hundred percent of his body, and he survived. So what am I thinking about today? Well, one of the things that struck me was I asked him. You know, John, how'd you get to be a professional speaker? He said, well, my, my, uh, my daughter asked me to come and speak at her school because they were having National Disability Week. And he said, and 
she said, dad, you know, would you come and speak at our school? And John said, well, why would I come and speak at your school? I'm not disabled. Now, if you meet John, you realize that he does have quite a bit of disability because of his burn, burn CD experience, but he doesn't think of himself as disabled. So one of the things I was thinking about today is, you know, I'm sure there's people that have MACD that may think of themselves as disabled, controversial, of course. And there may be people with MACD that don't view themselves as disabled like John. So what are your thoughts about the thinking of a disabled person versus somebody who says, I'm, I'm not disabled? An interesting thought process. So I just wonder what your thoughts were about that. Hmm. I'm not disabled. First of all, what an unbelievable story. I can't even imagine. I'm very delighted to call him a friend. He's an amazing man. Absolutely. I'd love to meet him sometime. He's incredible. And to also have your child ask you that. So that says something as well as to your own child's perception. And I'm not judging or saying good or bad about that. Right, it's just right. interesting. But also on this, at the same time, like, you know, we all know, you know, there's all when kids, at least when they were in the classroom, you know, it would be like, it would be almost an honor. I know I did this with my daughter. Could you come speak to our class and talk about what you do as a professional? Right. You know, and that was like, while it was kind of embarrassing for my daughter, it was also prideful for, for me and, you know, an honor. So it was kind of a, you know, that's what goes on with kids, but we all know that schools do that. So does this, this thinking of yourself as being disabled change things versus thinking of yourself as not disabled? I guess that's what's kind of rundering, rumbling in my head. Right. And it's hard for you and I to really actually, you know, kind of be here talking about all that because neither one of us are quote unquote disabled. So on the one hand, it's, a, it's, it's tough to answer that, but I understand why it would be ruminating around in your, in your head because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it's profound. I would just say this again, not to be esoteric all the time or whatever, but you know, and I'm going to, just paraphrase the quotes, but what you think about all day is you are or you aren't what you think about all the time. Absolutely. That's so true, Dawn. I've even heard people say that the word disease, if you break it down as the word dis-ease. Oh. So when people think about being diseased, they're diseased. So people don't think they're diseased. So even, you know, we hear about this all the time about the holistic thinking and how people who think positively, heal much more often than people who don't. But so the idea of thinking of yourself as disabled can change the way you, the way you view everything, your perception mm -hmm. of everything. So just, it's a fascinating thought. It is, Sean. And I think uh, I love the way you brought it up in the context of my MACD life. And I think it's something that we all you know, need to ponder every now and then, no matter if, you know, you're in a wheelchair or you're um, mentally disabled, whatever, whatever it is visually with, you know, of course, macular degeneration. I think that the overall topic um, is something that we all have to ask ourselves because life changes, things change. You can go from, you know, from in a blink of an eye, no pun intended, to having your vision and then not having your vision. And I know you can relate to that. Um, so I would just leave it at this. I think that, you know, it would be great 
to hear from the disabled community, quote unquote. You know, I have many friends who work in that field and perhaps we should get one of them to join us on uh, one of our podcasts as a guest and really drill down on that. I think that'd be great. I think it's a great idea. And my only other suggestion would be, uh, I've always said that in order to be motivated and positive, you have to change the language. So my suggestion, and of course this, you know, it's just my own personal opinion based on many people that I've known, is instead of using the word disabled, say I just have a condition, not a disability. And so that's a mindset change, you know. Absolutely. So well, I, I don't have a disability; I just have a condition. I have MACD. That's a condition, but it doesn't make me disabled. It just means that there's certain things I have to do differently, not disabled. So it's just interesting thought. So yeah, I would love to know what our listeners think of that idea, and we definitely need to find a guest to talk about that because I think that would be a really fascinating topic, disability versus just condition. Perfect. Thanks, Sean. Great thoughts. Thank you. Folks, this MACD Life episode includes our special guest, Dr. Dwight Stambolian. We're thrilled to have him with us today. Dr. Stambolian and his research team at the University of Pennsylvania recently received a research grant from the Support Site Foundation. So, Doctor, thanks for joining us today on the MACD Life, and welcome to the show. First of all, congratulations on your TSSF Research Grant Award. Bravo. Yes, well, thank you very much, and I'm honored to have you allow me to speak on my research. We're really glad you could join us today, and I guess the first question I'd like to ask for our listeners really is, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'm sure people are curious about, who is Dr. Stambolian? Sure. Well, I uh, consider myself a uh, physician scientist who has had some lucky breaks during my career to help me land softly into uh, my current position. I first became interested in ophthalmology during my second year of medical school. This interest was piqued by a fellow classmate who was passionate about ophthalmology, and some of this enthusiasm spilled onto me. But as I progressed through medical school, I became confused about my ultimate role after graduation. Was I to become a scientist or clinician or both? During my senior year, I decided on both, and I was fortunate to meet a University of Pennsylvania professor in ophthalmology who invited me to seek another advanced degree, a PhD. So I moved to Philadelphia following medical school graduation and completed my PhD at Penn and remained at Penn to complete my ophthalmology residency. Following my ophthalmology residency, I was invited to remain on the faculty and have remained as a faculty member since that first appointment. Well, a quick question for you. It seems like you've been very fortunate to have a couple of really influential people through that part of your career that really had an impact on you in terms of kind of shaping the direction you headed in. Is that that accurate? That is accurate. Yes. That's great. Well, how fortunate you to have those influences. Yes, I was very lucky. So do we fast forward now to your early research career and what happened there? Well, during my formative years of my research career, it, it was focused on cataract. Hmm. And it was not until the year 2000 that I began to develop an interest in MACD. My initial MACD research was clinical and focused on identifying MACD families in the Amish community of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. 
Well, that's fascinating. That's actually about five miles from where I'm setting today for the show. And what attracted you to the Amish community particularly, Doctor? Well, it was their excellent genealogy and their uh, large families and their well-known genetics. Hmm. Really fascinating. In that community, we actually examined about 3,000 individuals and found quite a few families that were transmitting MACD through the generations. This project evolved into studying another ethnic group, African-Americans in Philadelphia. Interestingly, MACD in African-Americans is much less frequent and presents differently from MACD in Europeans. In that study, we managed to recruit about 600 individuals that had a diagnosis of MACD. And over the last five years, my MACD research has changed from actually being clinical to more basic science research. That's really interesting. So, you know, for the people listening to this program in a layperson's nutshell, tell us about this exciting research project and what's the purpose of the TSSF grant uh, and what will your team be doing with the money? Right. So uh, before I get to that, let, let me review some of the issues about drug design for MACD and then discuss uh, our approach to finding a cure for MACD. Many of the current therapies for MACD have been directed at slowing the progression of the advanced stages with drugs, such as anti-VEGF, or in some cases, surgically replacing the dead cells with live cells. By design, a drug is usually directed against a target that is either disease-causing or disease-modifying. Drug design now takes multiple years and man hours of research before a drug gets tested in humans. Historically, much of the research into new drugs directed at MACD has been done on animal models, such as mice and rats, that do not have the same eye anatomy as humans. So then does that experiment on animals become problematic? because of some of the structural differences in an animal's eye versus a human? You read my mind. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the anatomy of most of these animal models is quite different. Um, a lot of, like mice and rats, do not have maculae, which is the location in, in the retina where MACD does its damage. Ah. In addition, the physiology of rodent models do not accurately recapitulate the physiology of humans. So let me just stop you for one second, because we've got some smart listeners out there. But what do we mean when we say recapitulate? Mimic. Well, let's use the word mimic. There's not mimic. Mimic. Okay, so mimic the physiology of humans. Or reproduce. So many of the clinical trials that are initiated uh, have an incomplete understanding of a drug's effect in human beings. Adding to this lack of understanding is our limited knowledge about the underlying biology of why MACD develops and its progression to advanced MACD. So what is different about our current approach to MACD? Well, first, we are focusing our research on human eye tissue to better understand what makes a normal macula different from other locations in the retina. If we can understand the uniqueness of the macula, then it might be possible to explain 
why the macula is susceptible to MACD. Second, we are collecting eye tissues from deceased donors who have no disease and others that have MACD. Using tissues from both sources, we seek to find the differences between the eyes that are normal and those that have MACD. So it's it's almost, doctor, if I may interrupt you for a second, it's almost like you're a detective in a way because you're comparing and trying to figure out exactly here's normal, here's not normal, and what are the differences? Differences. And why yeah. are they different, right? Correct. The differences that matter. We expect these differences will lead to new targets that can be used to develop drugs against these targets. Finally, we are collecting eye tissues from donors with a wide spectrum of MACD, including early, intermediate, and late stages. The collection of multiple MACD stages should enable us to generate a gradient of changes in MACD that manifests early and progresses through intermediate and advanced stages. Understanding these changes that underlie this gradient from early to intermediate will lead to new drugs directed at these targets with the goal of halting the progression from early to intermediate stages. And if we are lucky, this analysis might provide clues of how MACD develops in the setting of a normal eye so we can find a cure to stop it from ever starting. And what great news that is for our listeners, people that are suffering from MACD, people whose families have people that are suffering from MACD, to know that that your research you know, has the possibility for finding a cure or, as you said, at least stopping or slowing down the progression of this awful disease. That is correct. So I hear Don Prawl, the founder of the Support Site Foundation, say all the time, research makes medicine. <laughs> you and I have heard her say that many times. And so it's simple and profound when you think about it, just three words, research makes medicine. But most of us we get up in the morning, we take our medicine out of our little pillbox, and we don't really think about that medicine, like where did it come from? How did it get designed? How did it get developed? How did it get to be where it is? And so when you're thinking about this as a researcher and a clinician and a scientist, you know, you're taking care of patients. But w- from your point of view, what, is, what does it mean when, it, when we say research makes medicine? Well, I'm, I look at about 10 years of research and clinical trials before a uh, medicine actually gets to the table of the patient. For example, a, a, yeah, at least 10 years. 10 so years. before a pharmaceutical company can enter a drug into clinical trials, there needs to be some basic research accomplished, which addresses the biological activity of the drug against the targeted disease. Much of this research is performed in academic centers like mine and is usually supplemented by research labs in Big Pharma. This period of intense basic research can vary from three to six years or in some cases longer and must be undertaken before a drug can enter a clinical trial. Now, only about five in 5,000 drugs that are tested in the lab ever make it to clinical trials.
I guess the thing that our listeners would probably be most shocked by is two things. One, that it takes 10 years from inception to it actually being, you know, used by a patient. And secondly, this is like, you know, threading the eye of a needle because we're talking about five in 5,000 drugs that are tested ever even make it to the clinical trials, Correct. much less to our hand, we can take it to cure disease. Right. To receive FDA approval. Well, yeah. that is, that's so rigorous and so difficult. Well, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the clinical trials. Uh, the clinical trials themselves consist of three phases and are designed to determine the effectiveness of uh, new drugs. Phase one is usually performed in a small number of volunteers, about 20 to 80 subjects, and is designed to address the drug's safety profile. A safety profile includes the drug's safe dosage range, its absorption, its distribution in the body, and its degradation rate. This phase usually lasts about a year. After phase one, phase two is initiated to identify the minimum and maximum dosages for effectiveness. This phase usually involves between 100 to 300 patients and can take about two years. Phase three is the final phase and usually involves somewhere between 1,000 to 3,000 patients. Its purpose is to address the safety and drug effectiveness in a much larger group of patients and usually takes about three years. I guess as a layperson doctor, it makes me feel really good to know that there's all these levels of safety and testing before these drugs are released to the public. That's right. And That's there's great also, reassurance. Yeah. And there's also uh, the fact that you need to make applications to the FDA for approval to even begin a clinical trial and later to bring the drug to market. This adds another two to two and a half years to all this time. Wow. So as you know, here on My MACD Life, we hear from people and families who are living with MACD all the time, and along with learning more about how to live with losing their vision, many of them want to learn more about the science. So, you know, if we could kind of go behind the scenes, if we could, we can't, but we'd like to, and we could go behind the scenes to labs all over the world like yours at Penn that holds promise, what can you tell people listening to this show today, uh, what's happening right now that, that that's that would bring them hope. What, what, what right now in those labs are kind of the bright light, a possible cure or some new medication in the future that might really benefit those suffering from MACD? Well, first, let me assure your audience that there is research occurring all over the world to determine how MACD begins, as well as new therapies to slow its progression. In fact, amazing research advances have been made since the first therapy for the wet form of MACD was developed in the 1980s. This initial therapy in the 80s utilized a laser to destroy abnormal MACD blood vessels. Unfortunately, it also destroyed normal blood vessels, leading to loss of vision. So around the year 2000, a new type of laser was invented that was directed at a dye while it passed through the abnormal blood vessels of the MACD lesion. The dye was given to the patient by venipuncture, but unfortunately, while the damage to normal blood vessels was limited, 
compared to the laser of the 1980s, vision was not improved with the laser dye combination. Therefore, the limitations for both laser treatments stimulated the development of a new drug called anti-VEGF in 2006. This drug was shown to improve vision and was a major breakthrough. But this drug has limitations that include patient variability with respect to dose and treatment periods and the high frequency of atrophy which follows long-term injections. So to uh, decrease the frequency of injections and make the injections more comfortable for the patient, there has been a lot of research in finding new formulations uh, to determine if the number of injections can be reduced on an annual basis. Initial results are promising for reducing the number of injections by almost 75%. There are new new injectables uh, that are currently in phase two, which are highly promising. There are also a few clinical trials being directed at the complement proteins. Complement is a pathway which consists of over 50 proteins. For two decades now, research has implicated the complement pathway in MACD. One ongoing trial inhibiting complement is with a drug called Apple II. Phase two trials of Apple II have shown a reduction in the growth of geographic atrophy, and this drug has now moved into a phase three trial with a larger group of individuals. So the exciting news, we have research that indicates we may be able to reduce the number of injections up to 75%, perhaps. Yes. And we have some new complementary pathways, proteins, that could also have a significant development in a drug called APL2. You said complementary. You mean complement. Complement, yes. Complement pathway. Yes. That's, well, that's great news. So there is a lot of hope out there. Yes. So none of us really know what the future will bring. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, that's for sure. But certainly, you know, before COVID-19 and now and years from now, but the pandemic really has put science and medicine on everybody's mind because every day now people are talking about the vaccines and the developments with different pharmaceutical companies, really like we've never thought about before. So people are all over the world are putting hope in people like you. Dr. Stambolian and scientists and doctors. So what hope is on the horizon for people who have MECD and what are you finding most promising these days? Yes. Well, hope springs eternal. I am very optimistic about the future. First, scientists are spending more time focusing their MACD experimental studies on human tissue. Models of human eye tissue, such as organoids and cell culture platforms, that contain layers of the human retina are being developed to address the need for human eye models to test new drugs and study cell-to-cell interactions. These organoids and other cell culture platforms are built using particular cells from human blood and converting these cells to different kinds of retinal cells. The idea of this technology is to build a human retina in a dish that will allow us to assess biological pathways and the retina response to external insults. So let me let me make sure I understand this because I know our listeners would want to understand this. Sure. So we're now not experimenting with an animal. We're now not experimenting with a human. We're basically creating in a 
dish, if you will, for lack of a better word, using organic organoids, right? Using organoids and other cell culture platforms to be able to test the effectiveness of different treatments. Is that, did I, did I hear that correctly? Yes. Very accurate. This Correct. is like science fiction. That's, <laughs> it really is. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago, this would even be possible. Yes, you're right. We never had this in our vision 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, uh, to proceed, as mentioned previously, there are major ongoing efforts to collect human eye tissue uh, to assess the changes occurring in MACD. Such efforts utilizing human eye tissue will be the most direct way to identify the cause of MACD and eventually lead to new drugs directed at either preventing MACD or halting progression from the early to late stage of MACD, where you get irreversible loss of vision. That's so exciting. So I'm imagining with this pandemic, with the COVID-19, how has the pandemic impacted your research and how has it impacted research in general? Yeah, the pandemic has had a major impact on research progress. When the pandemic reached a peak in the spring, uh, the university shut down for about six weeks, allowing only essential personnel to come to work. And since research personnel are not considered essential, research came to a halt. After this period, there was a staging uh, program at the university which limited the number of research personnel returning to work. This first stage lasted about a month, whereby only 50% of the personnel were permitted in the laboratories at one time. During this period, research personnel were required to work in rotating shifts to limit contact between individuals. In September, all research personnel were allowed to return to work with restrictions, which included wearing a mask at all times on campus frequent hand washing, maintaining a safe social distance, no in-person conferences or lectures, and no eating in groups. Unfortunately, this lack of person-to-person contact limits conversations between individuals, which are very important for discussing new ideas. As a result, research progress has been impeded even more so today with the rise in coronavirus cases. That's very unfortunate. So it's kind of put you a little behind the eight ball, I guess. It has. It has. So all of the folks listening to my MACD life know that research takes money and time. So I guess my question is, how can our listeners help advance your work if each person listening to this podcast could do one thing that would, for you, move the needle? Dr. Stambolian, what would that be? Well, I, I think the best way for listeners to advance research is to donate money to well-intentioned organizations like SupportSite. SupportSite is at the forefront of funding projects that have high impact. Its leader, Dawn George, spends a lot of effort screening vision scientists for their ideas and past productivity to determine who would be the best candidate to receive research funding from support site? Her energy is limitless, and she strives for excellence from herself and those researchers who receive support site funds. 
One story that I can relate is her devotion to getting things right, no matter the time of day. She and I tried to find a convenient time during the week that included daytime and evenings, but unfortunately, there were no available time slots, and she arranged to talk to me for one and a half hours on an early Saturday afternoon. She is so devoted to the Support Site Foundation that there is no such thing as an inconvenient time to discuss new therapies that might stop the progression of MACD. So, Dr. Stamboli, it must be tremendously rewarding to do the kind of work that you do. Tell us about that. Does that feel rewarding to you, seeing the progress that's being made? Yes. My day is never boring. There are stressful times when I have grants to write and papers to write. I feel so fortunate that my day is always filled with activities and is always challenging um, it, it, to... to to do this kind of work. So yes, it, it, it's, it's very exciting and I'm never bored. Have you ever thought about your legacy that maybe several years down the road when someone is cured of MACD, they'll go back and say it was your work that led to that? No. Scientists, well, I would say scientists usually don't think of things like that. We're, we're humble individuals. We don't, we don't think like that. <laughs> we don't have a legacy. Our legacy is our publications. Gotcha. Well, just I will tell you that we really appreciate everything that you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you. So, Dr. Stambolin, thank you for being on the show. I, I know I've learned a lot, and I know our listeners have too. The, the science and the scientists like you whose research helps us understand more about MACD, about the vision, the eyes, the amazing human body at a cellular level. And your research is discovery, and that's what creates a pathway for new treatments and a cure. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Well, thank you for your time. Hey folks, may 2021 be joyful, healthful, peaceful, hopeful, and kindful. That's our mantra. This year, more than ever, we have to come together. You know, we need to love each other more and hate each other less. So here's what we're asking you to do. Pick up your phone. We couldn't make it easier. Pick up your phone. Record yourself saying, May 2021, be joyful, healthful, peaceful, hopeful, and kindful at hashtag fullhearts2021. This is your chance to be featured on this show. We're active on all social media except for Twitter. Thanks for joining in. So welcome everyone to Guess the Celebrity. And how does this work? Well, Don and I are going to read a question either to each other, you know, either I'll read to Don or Don will read to me. But, and of course, in our listening audience, you can see if you can guess who the celebrity is. So Don, would you like me to go ahead and throw one at you first to see if you can Guess who the celebrity is? Sure, Sean. Great. So let me give you a let me give you a hard one because you're too smart. I, I got to give you a hard one. I give you this easy <laughs> stuff. So here's our celebrity. So Don, this is an American singer, songwriter, multi instrumentalist, record producer, actress, author, businesswoman, and humanitarian. She has composed over three thousand songs. 
has been nominated for two, count them, not one, but two Academy Awards. So here's the question, Don. Who is the celebrity? Well, I got to tell the audience, you know, I do not have the answer to this in front of me. Sean does no, not let me No, she does cheat. not. I did not share them with her. That would take the fun out of the game. That's right. But I think I know it. I think you I do. know it. Yeah. Barbara Streisand. I'm sorry, Don. That is incorrect. Would you like to take a second guess? Yes. Okay. Let me narrow it down because I know there are a lot of people out there listening who would have guessed Babs. Ah, That was a good guess. That was a good guess. Yeah. I would have guessed Babs. Yeah. How about actress? So we got a singer, songwriter, multi instrumentalist, record producer, actress, author, businesswoman, humanitarian, composed over 3,000 songs and nominated for two Academy Awards, Don. Two Academy Awards. What do you think? Uh, can you give me like a genre, like a um, era? Uh, nineteen sixty to current. Carol King had a very long career. Very good guess, but incorrect. <gasps> Our answer is Dolly Parton. Oh my God! I swear to God, I was thinking about Dolly. I really was, and you know what? Not how it always happens. You got like two or three in there. You're like, uh, it you was- narrow one down. Because she was prolific. I mean, 3,000 songs. I really didn't Very. think Carol King did 3,000. Not that she isn't capable of that, but Dolly. Yeah. We, we love Dolly. All right. Who doesn't love Dolly? Dolly's amazing. Nice try. And anybody out there listening who is thinking Dolly Parton, you're really good. <laughs> That's right. So, Don, would you like to throw one? At, you'd like to throw a guest to celebrity question at Sean? Well, Sean, this is guests of celebrity section of the Pop My Mackety Life podcast, and it wouldn't be fair if you didn't have to answer. So I'm going to give you one. I appreciate you including me as a co-host. I appreciate you including me. That's right. It's a two-way street, buddy. Okay. This one is very long. Are you ready? So listen up. Listen up, because you're going to maybe have to take notes. Got to put my thinking cap on. Okay, I'm ready. American singer, dancer, Hmm. actor, vaudevillian, and comedian who has been called the greatest entertainer ever to grace a stage in these United States. And that's 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 some that's that's amazing. I got a little more. All right. At age three. He, so that narrows it down, began his career in vaudeville with his father. And keep this in mind, some folks out there have heard this, the Will Maston Trio, who toured Hmm. nationally. After military service, he returned to the trio and became an overnight sensation following a nightclub performance at Ciro's in West Hollywood. After oh, in West Hollywood, I've been there. Yeah. Oh, fancy. No, I'm making that up. I have never been there. <laughs> no, sh- <laughs> after, after the 1951 Academy Awards. Now with the trio, he became a recording artist and later became a solo artist and actor. So if you don't know who this is after all that, I don't know what to say. Hmm. I got to tell you, the filet mignon at Ciro's is the best I've ever had. Just kidding. So let's see. Oh, boy. 
I think it is Sammy Davis Jr. And the answer is... Bing, 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 bing. Yay! Yay! I knew it. I knew it. I really have to... You just know, you know? Yeah. I think the era was a giveaway. And I also think that, you know, who knew that Sammy Davis Jr., God rest his soul, was so prolific? Even before he was Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, that song, The Candyman, The Candyman Can, because he mixes (laughs) it with love and makes the world taste good. I mean... Who doesn't love Sammy Davis Jr.? He was he was awesome. Good job, Sean. Thank you very much. You want me to throw one at you? I can take it. Okay, Don, do you have your thinking cap on? That's the question. Are you ready? Always. I got to tell you, this is a tough one. Are you ready? Did you? Well, first question, did you have your Wheaties this morning? That's the big question. Uh, no, I had grape nuts. Okay, grape nuts does qualify in this category, yeah. so you're good. So this celebrity started as a writer... For the Smothers Brothers show, which you may remember. I do. It is an American actor, comedian, writer, producer, and musician. Has also become a successful actor, as well as an author, and I've read many of their novels, playwright, pianist, and banjo player, eventually earning an Emmy, a Grammy, and an American Comedy Award, among many other honors. So talk about somebody that just has... So many different talents. Who might this person be, Dani Bobani? Well, the banjo player's thrown me off. Oh, um, is it really? Yeah. Okay, let me think about this. I know the clock's ticking. So, actor. Mm-hmm, I mean, these mm-hmm, people have done mm-hmm, everything. Right. Jeffrey Theme is playing. Well, it can't be the late Robin Williams because he's not that old. Wasn't that old, was he? Um, no, it was definitely not Robin Williams. Uh, one I really loved a lot. A great man. Banjo player, banjo player. I'm hung up on that. Sean, if you would give me a name of their song, you know I'd get that in three notes. Um, yes, you would. <laughs> uh, we have to change the trivia to my favor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, gosh, it's just on the tip. This um, right on the tip of your cerebellum, yeah, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they have to be older by now. Oh, for heaven's sakes! Well, I know all of our audience is probably yelling the answer at me. I wish I could hear them, but the only person I can really hear is you, and you're not telling me the answer. So, <laughs> all I know is it's not Goldie Hawn. So, who is it, Definitely Sean? Not- the answer is Earl Scruggs from Flat and Scruggs. I'm just kidding. Oh, I made that up. Oh. I made that up. That's not the answer. <laughs> Let's not that throw the banjo in there to throw you off. No, it's not, it's not Earl and Scruggs. With- yeah, they actually, uh, well, we're getting like into sub trivia. This is interesting. Uh, Flat and Scruggs <laughs> actually did the theme song for the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, I know. Oh, trust me. I know that one. The All Beverly right, Hillbillies. Who was it? Steve Martin. Oh my God, Steve Martin! That's Steve right. Martin. He plays a banjo with the the balloons. Yeah, what a out. talent! Yeah, God. what a talent! All right. yep. Maybe I need to need to eat Wheaties and not grape nuts. <laughs> Maybe that's the uh, the the moral of our our trivia today is yeah, eat uh, eat Wheaties instead of grape nuts. You're so fun, Sean. Thank you very much for oh, these. Thank you. That was fun. 
Macti Life. My Macti Life. My Macti Life. Tips to live more independently with macular degeneration. What you have to do is enhance the contrast between what you want to see and your surroundings. So you, a lot of you know, and you've got your, you make your own, your choices, what works for you. It's really individualized, but you see better with more contrast. The more contrast, the easier. So here's a couple of really good examples. One is make sure in the, in the kitchen, for example, make sure that your dishes are solid. All right. There's no heavy pattern. You know, there's not a lot going on in the background. Make sure that if you're eating something that is lighter in color, choose a darker bowl, choose a darker plate. So there's contrast there and you can better see the food you're eating. Also, I can tell you how many times I talk to people about this and, and, um, They never even thought of it this way, but putting liquid into a glass or a mug or a cup is hard to do, right? You all know it. It's hard to see. It's hard to line it up. So if you're drinking water, have a dark glass. Use a dark mug. If you're drinking soda that's dark, Use a clear glass, okay? Use a lighter glass. Again, the contrast is what's key here. And it does make it significantly easier to pour out of a pitcher, to to pour out of a bottle, uh, and to find your food. I hope that'll help. Simple to do. We want to make your life easier. And we'll have more after this. Thank you. This next segment is brought to you by our feature sponsor, Vespero, the world's leading assistive technology provider for the visually impaired. Visit our great friends at Vespero at www.vespero.com. They're the home of Freedom Scientific, Optelec, and Enhanced Vision Brands. So Don, I understand on today's assistive technology, we're going to be talking about something called Topaz. So what what's Topaz? It sounds fascinating. <laughs> Sean, guess what? Today we're going to be talking about the topaz. It's it falls under the category of like a desktop magnifier, and mm. it's kind of like if you picture like a almost like a PC, only really sits in your office or in your your wherever you your study your den, um, on a desk or on a table, and it's like the workhorse. You know the the assistive technology segment today. The device is actually called a Topaz, and it comes in all different sizes, and uh, it's real easy to use. And, you know, it's really a popular device amongst seniors, and because it's just the functionality is perfect for them to read their newspaper or their Bible or their Torah, whatever they want to read, whatever's important to them. So I'm really kind of excited about this week's because it's just a stalwart that everybody needs to know about. I can't wait to hear more about it. All right, 
Well, good afternoon. My name is Bill Kilroy. I'm Vispero's Senior Sales Director for the Northeast, and I'm joined by my colleague, Mike Wood, Strategic Accounts Manager for Education for Vispero. Hey, everybody. Mike and I are very pleased to be on this podcast, My MACD Life, and we hope to tell you a little bit more about our organization and the types of tools we produce. Vispero is the world's largest assistive technology for the visually impaired. Our field of specialty is assistive technology. In our world, for Vispero, that means serving people with our products who are blind or low vision. Throughout this podcast, we hope to highlight key products in our line that can enhance people's lives, and we look forward to speaking with you. Again, I want to thank the uh, Support Site uh, Foundation and the My Mac D Life podcast folks for allowing Vispero, uh, myself, Bill Kilroy, the Northeast Sales Director, and Mike Wood, uh, our uh, strategic sales manager for education, to share some information on our on our products. And today, I, uh, unfortunately, Mike can't join us in this session, uh, will be sharing some information on our Freedom Scientific Topaz line of desktop video magnifiers. So I'm a little bit excited uh, uh, about this because it's sort of a back to a basics type of device for many users and can not only be used by obviously users in their home and and users in schools and and, and things of that nature, but it's a great device to be able to have out there in the community, uh, whether it's at a town hall, a library, or some other place of public accommodation. What is it? Uh, a desktop video magnifier is a think of it as a larger device that is stationary, sits on your sits on a desk primarily. And it is a video magnification system that includes a, a, a camera monitor and what we call an XY table so that somebody could put down a piece of print material, a newspaper, a book, a document or a form that they need to sign. And they can look at that in front of them and move that information around the table uh, and magnify it anywhere from just under two times magnification to uh, many of the models go over 60 plus in, 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 uh, in magnification level. And the Topaz is, is a great device and it's unique in a way because of the way in which we have our control panel laid out. So the control panel on the Topaz sits at the very base of of the monitor and think of the monitor as um, something that's floating on an arm on this unit you can raise or lower it depending upon your height actually you could actually stand at this unit if you wanted to and it can swing left or right so we've seen people that have done presentations where they have their notes on the xy table the image of those notes is magnified yet they're standing left or right of the monitor just looking at the monitor and will glance over occasionally as they're addressing their audience and doing the presentation to their magnified set of notes. So it's a great device for what I call long-term reading because these devices have a bigger field, i.e. bigger monitor. Um, They can magnify obviously more information on a page at a time so that there's less mental processing to put the characters into words, the words into sentences, the sentences into paragraphs, and you can you know, go on these devices for longer periods of time than, let's say, a um, handheld magnifier where the field might be five inches. So the Topaz, you know, comes in, the monitor sizes come in 
anywhere from 20, 22, or 24 inches. Um, and these are HD cameras, high-definition cameras, so you get a nice, clear, sharp image. Um, I sort of moved on from the from the uh, control panel a little bit, but it's a color-coded control panel. And so you have uh, separate colors for each control, magnification, video enhancement mode for changing the contrast. So you can look at this in color, but I can look at it as high contrast, white on black, black on white. There's 30 plus magnif uh, color combinations that you can utilize and brightness control. So very easy to use, very useful in the sense that, you know, you can do so many different things on it from reading a novel reading, um, I think Mike mentioned earlier with some of our, our handheld devices, you know, reading a recipe, uh, looking at your bills, um, writing at this device, fill out a form, uh, write a check, you know, make notes, et cetera, if you're a student in, in class. It's a great universal device for that type of, for those types of activities. So whether it's at home, on the job, or in school, we see these types of devices everywhere and you know whether it's a a topaz you know magnification only uh in 20 22 or 24 inch or um our um topaz ocr which in addition to giving you a live camera view can also scan and read the document that you're looking at so it's a great device for you know dual modality and extends your uh, usage of that device. You can literally be reading a document and I'm reading a chapter in a book and I get to page 25 and I'm, you know, I'm burnt out. So what do I want to do? Well, I want to keep being productive. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start scanning pages and I'm going to sit back and listen to what's being read in this chapter and absorb it that way. And so it's a, you know, the Topaz OCR is, is, a, is a great choice to have and goes above and beyond with the OCR capability for in addition to magnification. So that, that is sort of a brief summary of the Topaz desktop video magnifier from Freedom Scientific. Again, um, we're a company that has multiple brands. So our other uh, two low vision organizations, Enhanced Vision has the Merlin line of desktop video magnifiers and our Optilec division has the Clearview line of desktop video magnifications. So whether you want to learn about the more about the Topaz or the Merlin or the Optilec, you know, there's two ways uh, to really get in touch with us. Uh, go online and you will type in www.vispero.com or call our toll-free number at 1-800-444-4443 and speak to one of our customer service representatives. As Mike and I have alluded to, you can tell them what you're interested in. They can guide you through um, some of the products and they can connect you with a local resource that can help you in, in, your, in your home or schedule an appointment to potentially come into their um, showroom and learn more about these products and, and, and test, them, test drive one for yourself. So thank you very much. Again, I want to say thank you to the Support uh, Site Foundation and the My Mac D Life podcast for having Mike and I on and have yourself a great day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We're really glad you're here. Please come back. May 2021 be joyful, healthful, 
peaceful, hopeful, and kindful. Yeah, and it's definitely a privilege and a pleasure. And remember, for more information, please go to mymacdlife.org. We have all sorts of resources and info there for patients who have MACD and their families. And remember to join us next time on My MACD Life. This program is empowered by the Support Site Foundation. The Support Site Foundation mission is to save sight for millions of people who suffer from age-related macular degeneration, AMD, and lose their precious vision. As a 501c3 public charity, our goal is to provide patient education and access to low vision resources to help individuals, families, and caregivers whose lives are severely impacted by AMD. We place a high priority on connecting with people, their families, and loved ones who live with the daily struggle of impaired vision. The Support Site Foundation funds innovative research projects conducted by the top scientists in the field who are on a path to discover effective new tools, technology, and treatments for people like you with vision loss. The Support Site Foundation, supportsite.org, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-S-I-G-H-T.org, or call us at 888-681-8773 and connect with us on social media. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on My Mac D Life, the podcast with a vision to bring hope, optimism, perspective, and education to our listeners. For more information and many great, incredible resources, visit mymacdlife.org. This program is supported by amazing listeners like you. During the season of giving, please consider a donation to keep our mission moving forward. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, keep living with hope.